Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke in a series that I've entitled The Stories of Life as we go through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Last week I shared part one of a two-part study, so guess what today is? Wow, good job. Just checking to make sure you guys are awake out there. Smart group, yes. Last week, one of the things I shared, and I've been saying this along the way, that God is writing a story in your life. The story is about Jesus. He's writing a story in your life about Jesus. That's really important for us to understand. God is the author, Jesus is the main character, and one of the things I've been saying recently is that you are the pen in the hand of God writing the story of Christ in your life. But unlike the pen that I might use, we have free will. We have choice. We can choose to participate, to cooperate with God as he writes that story, Or we can do what? We can resist. We can rebel. We can write the story we want to, right? Anybody besides me ever try to do that? Come on, people. Come on. I know I'm not the only one. I'm preaching to the wrong church, I guess. I'm preaching to everybody online because I know somebody out there who has tried to write their own story. We God, if you'd be honest, you would all raise your hand and say, yes, I have tried to write my own story this week. Maybe this morning I've been trying to write my own story. God made you come to church anyway. God calls that sin. And we don't like to talk about sin. Anybody like to talk about sin? If you do, I was going to say go see Pastor Randy, but he's not here. God is writing a a story about Christ in your life. And, And here's one of those hard realities that we need to really understand. Only the parts of your story that include Christ will matter in the end. Those parts of your story that don't involve Christ are not going to matter. And I don't know about you, I want to live a life that matters. And so I'm going to let I'm going to let God write that story as well as I'm able. I don't do it perfectly. My son, Philip, who's, I don't know what he's doing. He's leaving, I guess. <laughs> right in the middle of the message. Thanks, son. <laughs> really encouraging me right now. <laughs> I know it's important. Whatever he's doing is important. <laughs> God is the author. He wrote that part in. (laughs) Resisting God as he writes his story in our lives is sin. We need to acknowledge that. We need to be okay acknowledging that. And there's some things that we need to do because God's writing the story of Christ in our lives and he wants us to tell it. The story he's writing in our lives is meant to be told. It's meant to be lived out. It's meant to be expressed in some way. And, and so we, but we can't just do that. We need to prepare ourselves for that. Let's pray, and we'll uh, ask God to prepare our hearts to receive what it is he wants us to learn from this. Heavenly Father, we do come to you today, and we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who makes all of this real, makes it all important, gives it a purpose and a point to all this that we do. We recognize without him, we are nothing, we have nothing, and there is nothing for us in the future. But with him, there is everything. And so we come right now, we open our hearts up to you, we humble our hearts before you, and we lay down the junk of our lives, whatever it might be. If it's sin, we lay down our sin. If it's hurts and pains and needs and wants and desires and all the the stuff that is our life, 
Lord God, we just lay it down right now, even for this brief moment, so that your spirit might speak to us. So we ask that you would do that right now. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 3, we're in the beginning in in the account of John the Baptist and the message that God gave him. So we'll read the first six verses, what I covered last week. If you missed it, it's, it's all online. You can go to it later. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John's message was simple. The king is coming. The king is coming, and you need to get ready. You need to prepare yourself for the king's arrival. Do we believe that our king is coming? He's coming. Where are you at, Rick? I was. Thank you. Come on, brother. He's coming. He could be soon. And we need to acknowledge that and believe that. And if he is coming, then we ought to be getting ourselves ready for that, right? Does that make sense? If he is coming, he is our king, then there's probably some preparation that we need to be making in our lives. And I shared last week, that is for all of us, there is preparations that ought to be made. And I said the very first thing we ought to be doing is preparing our hearts through repentance, Repentance is something that every single believer ought to do. Matthew kind of summarized John's message in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. He says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If the king's coming, the very first thing we ought to do is repent. And not just if you're some horribly wicked, vile sinner. All of us. All of us ought to be willing to repent. This first step to prepare yourself to tell the story of Christ to the world is through preparing your heart. And the way we we begin to do that is through repentance. As we grow in our faith, we ought to be more willing and literally be more excited about repenting than we were before. There ought to be a part of us that actually rejoices in repenting. Because when we, when we, we come to that place where conviction falls us, we realize, you know what, I need to repent. You know why that happens? It happens because God loves you so much that he tells you how to get closer to him. He tells you, hey, 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 if you repent right now, you'll be more like my son. If you repent right now, you'll be able to draw nearer to me. You'll be able to experience more and more of my presence, of my grace, my mercy. You'll be able to know me better through repentance. You know, that we don't like repentance because there's always a negative element attached to it. it, it you know, if you're doing it right, it should make you feel bad that you have to repent. The fact that you've offended a God who's given you absolutely everything that you have, who, is, who has sent his own son to die for your sins and makes a way for you to go to heaven for eternity, it ought to make you sad that you, that you have offended that God. But every time I repent, I'm able to walk in joy and freedom to a greater degree than I did before. So there's a part of us that I look forward to repenting and rejoice in it when we do find ourselves in that place. Don't rejoice in the sin. That would be dumb. But rejoice in the fact that we have a way out of all of that, to be freed from that, 
to walk in the abundance and the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the power and the truth of God. Amen? Repentance is a gift that God gives to his children. And we need to see it that way. It's something we should rejoice in. John, we get to see a picture of John's teaching style here. Um, not a be the best you kind of a message. Verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers. I need to open a message like that sometime. <laughs> Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Brood of vipers. Wow. We know what brood means. That means kids, right? That's children. Offspring. Vipers. What is that referring to? Well, my Bible suggests that, you know, viper, serpent, devil, Satan. He's calling the children of the devil. That's not... That's not, you know, hey, I know how to fill our church up. You want to fill our church up? You call people, everybody, hey, 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 child of Satan, welcome. <laughs> now, some of you may be thinking about the person next to you and saying, that's what you need to be saying, pastor. <laughs> Don't be elbowing the person next to you. I saw you. I saw you right there. You were trying to be subtle. <laughs> Child of Satan. Oh, my goodness. There's something was going on. As all these people are coming out, you know, and, and we're told that they were coming out in droves to hear John's message and to be baptized. I mean, he was drawing a crowd, and he's not preaching a, a, a warm and fuzzy message to them. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them. He's giving them spiritual discernment to see that they were not sincere, that their motives were impure. They were coming to experience a baptism of repentance, but they weren't repenting. There was no repentance in their hearts. And because they weren't sincere, John warned them. Warned them. There is a consequence to rebelling against God. There's a consequence to having these impure mood, motives as you're, as you're doing the things of God. There's a consequence to that. And it is wrath. Definition of wrath is the punitive outpouring of God's righteous indignation, perhaps describing anger, long building. You've you got to know that God is very patient. Very patient. You know, some people act like he's not. You know, something bad happens and they, you know, they act like, God, I made one mistake, God, and you smashed me. Uh, no. He doesn't do that. God is very patient and he waits and he, and he puts up with a lot more than he ought to. If we understood just how much, we would fall down on our face and thank him for it. And this is one of the reasons why we have to tell our story. Because there is a consequence to rebelling against God. There is a consequence to, to not coming to God as we're called to. There's a consequence to sin. And it's a terrible consequence. Now, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about it. But God really hates sin. He really, really hates sin. That's one of the reasons why he sent the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus said in John 16, 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
The Holy Spirit comes. So lots of different things, but this is one of the, these are some of the primary things he does. And if you are living the life that God calls to you, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you, right? We acknowledge that. That's what the Bible tells us. The Holy Spirit dwells in it. How much of the Holy Spirit lives inside of me? All of him, which leaves nothing for you, right? No. It's one of the mysteries of the faith. All of the Holy Spirit dwells in me. All of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. I don't get it. I don't need to understand it. I just accept it. I believe it. That means there is no limitation to what God can do in me or through me. No limitation. Only, the only limitation is God himself. And he determines what happens in me and through me. But if the Holy Spirit is living in me, his message will come out of me right? If I'm living my story the way that God wrote it, his story will come out of me. And the world hates that. Hates that. Because when I'm living my life the way that God would have me to, if I'm living the story that God is writing of Christ in my life, eventually the world is going to see the reality that there is something called sin and righteousness there is wrong there is right and the significance of those two is judgment there is judgment we don't do that to be mean we don't we don't we don't point our finger at people and call them the brood of vipers unless you're john the baptist and you're called to do that some people are called to do that i'm not say thank you jesus <laughs> If you need it, I'll tell you that. We are called to live it, and the world is not always going to be happy about that. Eventually, as we tell the story of Jesus just by living our lives, the message is going to come out that they, in fact, are far from God. And that there's a consequence to that. And there is right, there is wrong. And because the world hates it so much, there are people, there are churches that won't talk about it for fear that someone might be offended. I, I gotta tell you, I would rather offend you by telling you the truth in love than to offend God by not telling somebody what they need to hear to save them from the judgment that's coming. I'd rather offend someone else with truth given in love than to offend the God that loves me and them. John's strong words continue, verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, some people believe that there's something about their lives that makes them immune to the judgment of God. They're immune to the judgment of God. I don't have to worry about that. That's the way these Jews were responding. I don't have to worry about God's judgment. I'm a Jew. That makes, me, that makes me the chosen people. Well, you are. It doesn't make you immune to God's judgment. John says, that's no big deal. The fact that you're Jews, that's, that's no big deal. God can make a Jew out of a rock. He's done that before, you know, right? You know, he made the first man out of what? Dust, dirt, which explains a lot. Is it any harder for him to take a bunch of rocks and make a whole nation of people out of it? No, it takes no more energy for God to build up, to take a bunch of rocks and, and recreate them into a whole generation of people. He could do that. He says, that's no big deal. Why would you, be, why would you think that somehow makes you immune to God's commands, to God's call to holiness and righteousness? It does not make you immune. People today are no different. 
There are people today that believe they are immune to God's judgment, to wrath. They don't, there's no, there's no, they don't have to worry about it. Either because of their religion or maybe because of their good, work, good works. Or, you know, they believe that God grades on a scale. You know, if I do enough good, you know, that, you know the, the good will outweigh the bad and God, will, God will, you know, won't judge me because of that. My, my Bible says there is only one way to know for certain. There's only one way to be immune from the judgment of God. And that is through Christ and him alone. Another common one today is the false idea that because God is love that he won't judge anyone. God is love. The Bible tells clearly there is a consequence to rebellion against God. So John tells them, you know, don't, don't, don't depend upon your heritage or some false idea of religion to think it's going to save you. You need to do works worthy. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. That means you need to repent. You need to get your heart right with God and then do the works that prove that that's true. A tree bears fruit naturally. It doesn't think about it, right? It doesn't decide, you know, a tree doesn't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I think I'm going to have, I'm going to make avocados today. It doesn't do that. It just exists and the fruit comes naturally. The same thing is true of a person that is repented. If you've truly repented, there are going to be natural works that come out of you that prove you have repented. Typically, it's things different than what you were doing before, right? Does that make sense? If you've repented of something, that means you're not doing that thing again, and you're doing something else. You're doing the right things in its place. The second thing we're going to do if we're going to tell God's story, the story of Christ in our lives is we have to make his story our story. God is the author of our story. Jesus is the main character. He's the star. We are the pen in the hand of God. And maybe you heard the saying, anybody heard the saying, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Let me, let me say it again. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I was trying to go Hallmark there as much as I could, but it's not in me. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you, have you ever heard that? Anybody? Do you believe it's true? Absolutely it's true. God has an amazing plan for your life. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's life-altering plan for your life. And he wrote it out before you were conceived. He wrote the story of your life before you existed. The problem is, we tend to ad-lib along the way. You know what ad-libbing is? It's from the Latin. Ad-libitum. Libitum. David tried to give me a Latin lesson this morning. I'm hopeless. It means at one's pleasure or as one desires. Too often, we live our lives as we choose, as we desire, for our pleasure. Not according to the script that God wrote. If, let's just say, did God write the script of your life? The answer should be yes. Say yes. God is perfect, and what he does is, say it out loud like you believe it, perfect. So the script that God wrote for your life is perfect. If you ad lib, what are you doing? Are you moving away from perfection? Wouldn't you agree? If God wrote, what God wrote was perfect, if you do anything other than what God's script says, you are moving away from perfection, right? To something less perfect. And yet we don't believe that, do we? We don't believe that. You know, we make all these decisions. I'm going to go do this. I'm pretty sure God doesn't want me to do this. I'm going to go do this anyways because I am convinced my life will be better if I go do this. 
And the weird thing is sometimes it feels that way. But it always turns from better to bitter. Always. If you move away from God's perfect script for your life, you are moving toward imperfection. God uses a different word for that. He calls it sin. Missing the mark. Missing the mark, the center, the perfect spot that God has called you to, the perfect plan, the perfect script that God has written for your life. If you do it your way, you're moving away from perfection. You're moving to a less perfect life for you than what God has written for you. You have to believe that. Three quick things to make Christ's story your story. First thing, embrace his story for your life. That's hard. That can be really, really hard. You know why? Because sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes bad things happen. Would you acknowledge that? Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes they happen because ungodly people do something wicked in your life. Because there are ungodly people in the world around us, sometimes bad things happen around us. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we get hurt. Thank God Mike didn't get hurt too bad. Wave your hand, Mike. He's okay. Had a pretty bad accident this week. He's here with us this morning. I was kind of impressed he walked in this morning. Sometimes we have a disaster comes into our lives, a physical disaster, a financial, relational, emotional. Some kind of disaster comes into our lives and things get hard. But God's script for our life is perfect. Not necessarily easy. Not necessarily fun. But it's still perfect. So we need to understand something. That when we come, as he's writing scripts, we get to a, a scene in the script that God's write. Sometimes those, script, those scenes are hard. But it's part of the story of Christ that he wants to tell to the world. Somehow, through whatever this thing is, this hard thing in your life, if you live it the way that Christ would have you, the way God would have you to, people will see Christ in it. And that's what it's there for. God's script for our lives is perfect. Not always easy. Jesus told us that. You know, it shouldn't surprise us when life gets hard. In John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have hard times. You will have difficult seasons. You will have tragedy. You will have disaster. You will have disease. You will have illness. You will have all those things. But, I always love it when God puts a but in one of those kinds of statements. But, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Yeah, yeah, those hard chapters, they're going to come. Those difficult scenes, they're going to come. But be of good cheer. And I believe as we embrace the story of His story for our lives, as we embrace that story, we can have peace even in those dark times, even those difficult times, even in the tribulation and the hardship and the, the trials and the tribulations. All that, we, can have, we can have peace in all of those. Embrace his story. You know, too many times we say, when this happens, then I can live his story. You know, if this circumstance changes my life, then I can then I can follow God. I can do this, I can do that. No, no. God tells you to do it right here, right now. Whatever your story is, accept it. It's not wrong. God has never written a wrong chapter in your story. He's never made a mistake in your story. 
even though we look at some of the tragic things. I, brothers and sisters, don't, don't get me wrong. I know some of the stuff that's happened in your lives, and I, I, I can't imagine them in my own life. But God didn't make a mistake when he allowed it to happen. It's a part of his story, the story of Christ in the world today. And he wants to speak hope and life and peace and joy into the lives of others through your story. We have to let him embrace the story that God is writing in your life. It's not a mistake. Second thing, examine your life. The Bible tells us in a number of places to examine ourselves, to examine our life, to examine our faith. Examine your life for areas where you are ad-libbing and repent. Right? And we don't, shouldn't we be checking our lives? If, if, there is, if there is a singular script that God has written, a story that God is writing in our lives, shouldn't we be looking for areas where we're not living that story? Shouldn't we be looking for, okay, where am I you know, along the line living my own way? Now, you, know, you, may be, you may be hitting it 95% of the time. You may be nailing it like Joe over here. He's nailing it all the time, almost all the time. But God wants it all. We ought to be looking at those little areas maybe where we're not paying that much attention. Maybe something in our, in our memory, something in our heart, something, an area of forgiveness or an area of doubt or an area of resentment, all these different things. Fear is another one. Are these things that are on our, in our lives, and if they are, they're not supposed to be. And are we examining ourselves and trying to understand, where am I not living it God's way? Because if you're not living it God's way, you're living it apart from the perfection of the script that he wrote, then you are in sin, and, and I don't say that to be critical or anything like that, to create, to create condemnation. I want you to live the perfect life because that's, that's where the power of God happens. That's where his grace falls down in absolute abundance. That's where we experience all that God has for us is when we're walking that script as close as we possibly can. Experience more and more. Find those areas. Look for those areas. And that's hard. That's hard. Because sometimes we can't see it clearly, right? Would you, would you acknowledge that? Sometimes we can't see it. You know, there's, there's thoughts and there's ideas and there's, there's attitudes that have been built up in our hearts and mind for, some cases, decades. Or great hurts that have come into our lives that we just don't have an idea how to get to the other side of. Oh, that's when you need help. That's why God created the community of God. That's why it's so important for us to be connected and engaged. Because sometimes you think you're walking along God's plan for your life, but everybody around you says, uh, <laughs> we have no idea what you're doing, but whatever it is, is wrong. Or something, some attitude, some word comes out. God does this with me all the time. I'll be, I'll be sitting, you know, typically ministering to guys. That's typically who I, who I, I minister to as guys. You know, the women minister to women, guys minister to the guys. And some guy will say something. You just say something. And all of a sudden, boop, my, my spidey you know, senses go off. I said, uh, wait a minute. Let's talk about that for a minute. And God will reveal something in them that they didn't even know was there themselves. That's what we're together. We're to do together. We're to see those areas where we can't see clearly. Some of them, it's easy. You know, you know when you're in sin, right? Sometimes you don't know and you need help. Stay connected to the body. Stay connected to the community of God because that's where you're going to see some of the big, big gains in your faith as you stay connected. God doesn't want us ad-libbing, either on purpose or accidentally. You can't live as you desire and according to God's plan for your life, right? Would you acknowledge that? You have to choose. Either I'm going to live according to God's plan for my life or I'm going to live the way that I want to, unless you can align your desires with God's desires. Psalm, which one is it? Psalm, sorry, 37. It's in my notes. I don't have to ask questions. It's in my notes. Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. I love this. We usually only quote 4, verse 4, but listen to verse 3. Trust in the Lord... And do good, 
dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Focus your heart, your mind on the Lord. Get in alignment with God. And then verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Align yourself with the desires of God and your desires and his desires, they line up and God does amazing, awesome things. If God is not giving you the desires of your heart, is it because he hates you? Or could it be that your desires are not correct? They're not in alignment with his heart. Get connected. Stay connected with the people of God, and you'll be able to see God's script for your life more clearly. Third, expect God to help you as you walk boldly in his script for your life. Expect God to help you. God will, and this is, this is one of those hard statements, God will not help you live the way you want to. Anybody kind of like get a check in their spirit right about that moment? God will not help you live the way you want to. God is not going to live you just let you live, help you live just any way. He'll let you do it, but he's not going to help you. And what you ought to do is stop asking him to help you to do it. You know, crying out to God, God, why won't you help me here? God says, because you're living the way you want to, I can't help you there. I can't let you live. I can't help you live the way you want to because I would be helping you to live a less perfect life than the one I have planned for you. If you choose to write your own script, God will let you do it. But you need to understand, you're going to do it on your own. And God is not obligated to help you live the way you want to. But he is obligated to help you live the way he wants you to. You choose to live the way he wants you to, and he longs, is looking for an opportunity to help you. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite verses. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. He's going throughout the whole earth. He's running around back and forth across the whole earth to show himself strong. How strong is God? Say really strong. <laughs> On behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God wants to show himself supernaturally strong. Just the, you know, the miracle type strong on behalf of those who are loyal to him. I mean, it's so foolish for us to live our own way. We recognize that, realizing God is not going to help us. In fact, there's, there's scriptures that suggest my, he might not only not help us, he might resist us. Anybody think you can resist, God can resist you without you feeling it? Some of you probably have felt it. Felt God resisting you. He runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Show your, turn to him. Make his story your story. Embrace his story. Examine yourself to make sure you're living the story that he has for you. And if you need help, ask for it. God's put people around you for that very purpose, to help you to live that life. John's message is hard. And the people respond to it. Verse 10. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, I want you to notice what John doesn't say. John doesn't say, be like me. Be like me. If you want to be right with God, be like me. You got to dress funny. You got to eat locusts and wild honey. You got to go out on the street corners of the wilderness and preach the gospel. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, go back to your life 
and live it differently. Live it right. Do it right. Didn't challenge them to change their circumstances. Didn't say to them, you need to go be missionaries. Didn't say, you need to go to Bible college. Didn't say, you know, you need to be different. Just do it differently. Do what you're doing now. Just do it differently. Do it right. Too often, we're telling God, as soon as this circumstance in my life, then I'll follow you. As soon as this situation, as soon as I have this, as soon as I paid off that, as soon as I've done this, then my life will change. That's not what God would say to you. God would say, you live my story right now, right where you are, to the best of your ability. Nothing needs for you to change for you to live God's story because you are living the story that he's written for your life. Go about your normal lives. Just do it differently. It brings us to our third point of this message. Tell his story by living your story. Tell his story by living your story. John didn't tell the people to do something different. He didn't tell them to be missionaries. He didn't tell them to go serve in the priesthood. He didn't tell them to build orphanages. He didn't tell them to go to Bible college. He didn't tell them to become monks and nuns. He didn't tell them to change their lives, just to change how they were living their lives. God puts you where you are because that's where he wants you. Ooh, wait a minute, I don't want to be here. But that's where you are. That's where you are. And you're there because that's where God wants you. Now, he may not want to leave you there, He may have a plan to move you, but right now, that's where you are. And God is calling you to live his story of Christ in your life right now, right where you are. To live it in such a way that you have proven to God, proven to others and to God that he is the author of your story, that you have moved off of the throne of your life and allowed him to take his rightful place there. And you prove that through those works or the fruit of repentance. Earlier I said, you are here to glorify God by telling the story of Jesus in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. That is the universal, general reason why all, all humans exist for this reason. Now, we all do it differently. We'll all, we'll all follow the Holy Spirit and do, live it out differently, but we all have this general reason for existing. This is the meaning of life. And when you are living the story that God wrote for your life, Christ will be seen. If you're doing it the way that, Christ wrote, that God wrote it out, if you're, if you're living the life that he authored, Christ will be seen and he will be glorified. You can't help yourself. That just, that's just how it's going to happen. If you're following his plan for your life, God will be glorified. And you can also expect the Holy Spirit to come and to help you, to empower you, to give you what you need so that you can live that life. And he will lead you along the path of the story that God has written for your life. You know, we talk about missionary stuff all the time. We've got a plan, a trip planned in September to go to Indonesia. And, you know, sometimes people come, oh, I can't go to Indonesia. I can't go. I can't, I can't go. And I said, okay, don't. <laughs> you know, nobody's telling you you have to go. You know how, you know how to know when it's time for you to go? When God tells you, God will tell you when it's time. And it'd be like for me, I, I, didn't, I didn't see myself as a missionary. I still don't see myself as a missionary. I still go because God tells me to. He leads me to. And you know what? I've never died once on the mission field. I haven't even gone hungry once on the mission field. It's been pretty easy. 
I should, I should shut up because I could be setting myself up for something there. God will lead you. The Spirit will lead you to do whatever God wants you to do. If he wants you to be a missionary, he'll lead you to be a missionary. If he wants you to plant a church, he'll lead you to plant a church. If he wants you to do something in the church to, to minister to the body, to help the kids, the youth, whatever it might be, he'll lead you to do that. But you have to walk the path that he's called for you. You have to be following that path and committed to it and, and, and embrace it. And God will show you the way. You don't need to concern yourself about, about what you're going to do. You don't have to, oh, you know, God, do you want me to be a missionary? Do you want me to be this? Don't worry about that. You just live the story he's, he's called you to live. He'll tell you when it's time to think about those things. Or I'll tell you. <laughs> Under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you live this life, here's something I promise you, people will notice. People will notice. Verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier and mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, speaking of judgment again, and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. A little background here is the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come. Their, their scriptures promised and told them that a Savior King was coming. And so they're expecting them. And if they were studying their scriptures, they might have actually recognized that they were living in the generation when he was supposed to show up. There were scriptures that pointed to the exact date that the Messiah would, would ride into Jerusalem. The exact date that he would ride in. And how he would ride in on the back of a donkey. And so they're looking at John and they're wondering, maybe, maybe John, maybe this guy is the Messiah. John's response is, nope, not even close. Not even close. Here's the thing. John's life caused them to wonder about God. Caused them to question God things about faith it brought them to a place where they started to have questions about god what about your life does your life bring people to a place where they start to wonder about god they start to have questions about god are people curious about god because of your life. Not, not because you've got some great evangelistic message or ability. Can they look at your life and does it make them curious about God? I think it should. I believe that if God is writing our story and we're living that story and the story is not about me, it's about Christ, at some point in my life, ought to create curiosity in those around me, those who don't know him. Even some of those that su suggest they may know him would get curious. What is this thing you're doing? What is, what, why is your life, why are you so different? What is about your life that makes you the way that you are? I think if we're living our life the way that God wrote it, they will be curious. They will ask questions. Now, if you're living according to God's plan, God's way, then some will be curious. Others are going to be offended. Verses 19 and 20. But Herod, the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, that would be by John, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut up Shut John up in prison. Sorry. Luke is looking ahead to what's going to happen in John's life. A couple of years, maybe, year, year and a half. Looking ahead to the consequence of John living out the story that God wrote for him. 
The consequence was that he would come up against the most powerful man in the land, Herod, who was a wicked, wicked man. You know, that describes one of his sins here. He took his half-brother's wife away from him. And he was married at the time. So he's a married man who steals away another married man, another man's wife, and marries her. Just one of his many sins. Ultimately, Herod would have John arrested, falsely arrested, imprisoned, and then Herodias' daughter would dance for him and ultimately ask for the head of John the Baptist and Herod in, in an, a wicked act would give in and have John beheaded. Throughout history, there have been people who have been called to walk a very hard path. And that path has an end of something like John, where they give their life, they are martyred for the faith. Most of us, that's not our story. That's not the story that God has written for us. For most of us, the, the story that we have written is just one of walking through this dark world in a way, shedding a little bit of light into the darkness. We may play a much smaller, most of us, I'm guessing most of us in the room, not all, if not all of us in this room, will play a very small part in Christ's overall story. But no matter how small the part is, it's important. You know, how, how can I be important in the kingdom of God? Because of every soul that your life touches is valuable to God. So precious to God that if you will live your life as Christ would have you to live it, as God wrote it, if it touches just one soul, just one, just one soul is touched by your life and they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they receive eternal life, your whole life is worth more than the whole world. That's kind of a big deal. No matter how small your part is, it's a big part of the story that God is trying to tell in the world around you. We've got to prepare ourselves. Prepare yourself to tell his story. Get your heart ready. Get it ready by repenting. Don't resist repenting. It will set you free to walk boldly in his story, in your faith. Then make his story your story. The life that you're living is the life that God wrote for you. Now, there's parts of it you're probably messing up. You should fix that. Stop ad-libbing. Find out what his story is for your life and start living it. And then you start telling his story, just living the life that he called you to. He'll tell you when it's time to talk. Wait for him to tell you that. You know, I need to preach the gospel every single day. Really? If, well, if God opens the door for that, go for it. Sometimes God tells you to shut up. Anybody ever had that? I've had that. God told me to shut up. That knucklehead's not going to listen to you. Just shut up. Okay. Whatever you say, God. If you know me, I'm not afraid to tell people the truth about God. There's times where God says, nope, not right now. They're not going to hear you. JJ will talk to him later. He'll fix him. God's calling you. He's given you a story. He wants you to live it. We've got to start by preparing our hearts, by repenting. We make his story our story, and then we live out that story in the life that we're living right now, today. Go live his story for your life. Amen?